Hello, you are watching Light Novel Spray video series on the theology of the body on Audience 5. We are your hosts, Jeremy Hossotter and Guillermo Moreno. Now, what we need to do is kind of go back and review a little bit about what we talked about last time. And that is the topic of um, original solitude. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we read, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the subject of this is man, and the Hebrew word is Adam. Not good that man is alone. Sorry. It's Adam that is being addressed. And if we recall from before, Adam is the Hebrew word for humanity. It's the universal notion, including all of humanity, men and women. It's not just talking about males. It's all males and females. Okay, It's a wide universal term. So this phrase, it is not good that man is alone, has kind of two meanings to it. On the one hand, all of humanity is alone because as we talked about before, man is alone before the animals or animalia, right? Animalia, animals are not the same kind of thing or being as a human and so we have that as one context and then the second context is the fact that when we talk about humans it is adam and there's no male or female and so this context original solitude occurs prior to the male female distinction and this informs us then that there's a kind of priority of um, solitude. So solitude is going to be prior to this distinction between male and female. It doesn't matter whether you are a man or a woman, this problem of original solitude is there. Be by nature. It's something that we all encounter regardless of our maleness or femaleness. It's prior to being male or female. And we see that in the order of the biblical account. Because we have man being in a state of solitude and yet woman has not been created yet. He is in solitude. And let's see here. This not good JP2 will also link to this concept of a helper fit for him. And if I recall in Genesis 1, the duty of man to till the earth. So this not good has a further problem of man does not have a help in assisting him carry out these 
duties that God has given him that we learned about in Genesis 1, this duty to till the earth. All right, um, Guillermo, you still there with us? Of course. All right. Did you have any comments to add on to that? Yes, I just couldn't help but notice the word good. It, it just uh, building off of your observations, I recall that in the uh, Genesis 1, God created everything and he saw that it was good. So we see that things have kind of reached their end when God finished his creation. But building off of that word good, and I know right now it's a little, uh, um, it's not quite the time to go back and look at the Hebrew word for good. But I can't help but notice that, oh, oh, something's missing. Something is not good. And that's ultimately fulfilled in um, the creation of woman. And that way, humanity continues in original solitude together as male and female. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, because if we think back about Genesis 1, the creation of man is creation of man as male and female. And Mm -hmm. then God said, it's very good. Oh, right. Yes, yes. So that plenitude of very goodness is Mm -hmm. not yet until, as you said, that creation of man as male and female. So I'm glad you pointed that point out. Awesome. All right. Let's, Let's go on to the next slide. All right. First test of man. So we're in... Stay of original solitude. Man is alone. Woman has not been created. And here we can just imagine now God is taking all the animals and he's parading them before the first man. And you have the first man as like, I'm going to name this animal a giraffe. This one is an elephant. This one is an alligator. So on and so forth. And as the first man is doing this, JP2 makes some critical observations about this. Original solitude is the first test of man. Man is being tested about his identity, about it's a process of him coming to possess knowledge about himself. When man names the animals, He gains consciousness that he is not like the other animals. And since he is not like the other animals and he sees this difference, he gains the knowledge of his own superiority. So through this name of the animals, man becomes self-conscious of his superior value over the other living animals. And he also discovers that among the animals, there is not a helper fit for him he has to look elsewhere and as he's doing all of this looking around we can take this to a metaphysical level where man he's searching for his definition who am i that's a question uh, that only man can ask 
this question of who am I or what am I? The animals, they do not do this. They're, they are not self-conscious. They're not self-aware of their situation in creation like man is. So the first man makes then some critical observations. He knows he has a body, so he is a member of visible creation. He knows he is superior to animals, which means there's something about him that cannot be entirely identified with visible creation. So what this means then is while, yes, we are members of visible creation, we cannot be entirely identified with that. There's something more to man. And so when we come to think about, I guess, this one trend of modern philosophy, materialism, the biblical data says, no, we cannot identify ourselves as purely material beings or something more to us. And this something more is something we just need to keep teasing out. Let's see here. Um, Guillermo, you still there? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am right here. All right. The the one word that I would really like to highlight is the word consciousness. It's just essential to humanity. And just reiterating what you said, that, uh, of course, man is a part of uh, visible creation. But consciousness is what is what uh, gives us that awareness. We are not like the animals. No, we are, in fact, above the animals. And naming the animals um, shows how we have authority over the rest of creation. Um, well, I don't know if authority is the right word. But definitely stewardship. Well, stewardship implies some kind of authority. Yeah, but when I think of authority, I think of author. And, well, we are not. We are not the authors of creation. And I think a lot of what modern philosophy says is that since we have science, we just have this idolatry for ourselves and our ability to know. And we kind of try to make ourselves the authors of creation by manipulating it to our whims. I think that's all very true. Though I think I would want to push back just a little bit. Yeah, know. please. Okay. Because I would, I would want to say that even, even though everything you pointed out is 100% accurate and I agree, I think we push back just a little bit and say that man can be a co-creator through science. Thank you. Mm. Because by exercising our stewardship, we can become co-creators working with God and forming creation. I don't disagree. In fact, if I'm thinking of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, one of them in Spanish, the word is uh, it literally translates to science, but it but it means knowledge. And I think there's that, I don't know if confusion is the right word, but we use the two terms. We think of science as knowledge and knowledge as science. Right, right. That's a, that is a sadly prevalent view. Mm. 
Yeah. Just just ask what they believe about mathematics if they want to believe that. <laughs> no, and you are correct in using yeah. co-creators. Okay, that's yeah. that makes more sense. Yeah, you, you're correct. We have to make that sharp distinction between mm-hmm. creator and humanity and our stewardship, but we can become co-creators. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Let's see here. I do like how you also emphasize this question of consciousness. I believe that we're going to return to that in the slide after next. All right. Because I want to focus on this term definition now. Of course. So when we talk about definition, St. Pope John Paul II is going to introduce the term rational animal to further aid our analysis rational animal is a term from Aristotelian metaphysics or logic and what it what it what the term is getting at is the idea that man is a he's part of visible creation he clearly has a body there's a lot of similarities between him and animals and that's what the animal part is so Man, we, we have to say in some respect, man is an animal, given that we, we have the bones, the organs. Exactly. Yeah, we're organisms. Else. We have all these things that are part of being a living creature. But on the other hand, we cannot be strictly identified with animalia. And this principle that of separation is what Aristotle calls rational. So to introduce some Aristotelian terminology, the term animal that's being used in the um, definition, that Aristotle will call a proximate genus. Now, a genus is a thing, or I just think a set or a collection where you have a, all these common attributes. So you think about dogs cats and humans well they're all living beings that we have we're able capable of sensation locomotion um we have a digestive tract right we feel pain all these sorts of common things you know there's instincts and drives and so when you take this entire collection of common features that these different kinds of beings have, they fit under what Aristotle called the genus. And then the principle that distinguishes particular species within that genus, that particular feature that separates them is that um, principle of speciation, or what we can also call the specific difference. So if you see specific difference, think the principle that makes this species different from the other species in the genus. And there is, just to mention, um, JP2 cites a work on logic in footnote 10 to help give an idea of what it is um, he is explaining. And... 
the work he is citing is C.N. Biddle's The Science of Correct Thinking Logic. Let's see here. Do you have any observations for us, Gamble, concerning rational animal? I don't. No? No. One thing I do find interesting in the text itself mm -hmm. is JP2 introduces rational animal with an if. And he says, quote, if we accept the Aristotelian tradition, et cetera, et cetera, end quote. I just thought that was interesting, that if. How so? Well, I think it just kind of raises the question, what is JP2's view towards that tradition, right? Because if is kind of a hypothetical, that makes sense, right? If this, then that. Yeah. But then again, you can interpret that if in other ways. So, so, so if rather than since. Exactly. Something like that. Okay. Well, that's but, interesting. But we can also just point out the mood, right, of if, right? Because you can say, you can introduce a hypothetical in different moods that don't necessarily imply that. I just thought it was kind of curious. Something to look into? Yeah, maybe. All right, let's continue on. Subjectivity is a scary looking word. So in original solitude, man is alone before God in animalia. He knows he is not like God because he is a member of visible creation. So that makes him different from God. And yet he's different from visible creation because he discovers his rationality through this first test of naming the animals and that discovery. And this discovery leads to self-knowledge. Man gains knowledge of himself, of his nature, and of reality. And this kind of knowledge is kind of a revealing of man to himself. So, this, see here. So this idea of self-knowledge and self-consciousness are ideas that are inseparable from this concept of subjectivity. Subjectivity is constituted through self-knowledge. Man through self-consciousness distinguishes himself from God, from animals. So subjectivity is going to be the principle of delineation of man from animals subjectivity implies that man is a person so this term subjectivity for jp2 is that which properly will characterize personhood and two defining features of subjectivity is self-knowledge and self-consciousness it sounds like if Man is not just saying, I am aware, but rather saying, I am aware that I am aware. Yeah. Yeah. It's both of those, right? I, yeah, you, you cannot quite have one without the other. I, I do sense a distinction between the two. 
I think I think because animals are cognitive, so oh oh they're aware of their surroundings of uh predators or their need for nourishment and so forth, survival. That's just not the same as knowing that or having and maybe I'm going on a different topic, just the the yeah being able to grasp concepts i think a good example of this guillermo if you want to go down to this line of thought for a moment Mm -hmm. is i used to have a dog right and if you put a grape in his mouth he would spit it out every time but if you take a grape you put it in his mouth and you force him to bite down on the grape he would eat it every time so if you put the grape in his mouth, force him to bite down into it, and you do that several times, he would eat them. But then mm-hmm. the next grape, if you don't force him to bite down, he would spit it out. But it's the same thing. It's a grape. Right. It's, it gets back to that idea of um, the dog was not able to uh, comprehend that this thing is the same thing that he just ate a moment ago. Sure. There, there's a cognitive deficiency there. Mm-hmm. It is. It is an interesting thing. All right. Yeah. I will say for the interested audience that um this concept of subjectivity jp2 develops much more thoroughly in his book called person and act which was recently retranslated by the catholic university of america so that is something to look into it's much cheaper than the previous translation which ran for hundreds of dollars and hard to find and i will stress that i'm currently reading i I recently got a copy of the spanish translation of the theology of the body and in the introduction they continue to stress the importance of jp2's work the 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 aforementioned one the person and act it is kind of peculiar how in the spanish edition there's a strong emphasis on this book, but in the English translation by Waldstein, it's barely mentioned. It's not important for Waldstein, in other words. Something to look into, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is another topic in of itself. Of course, of course. Because that actually gets into kind of the political bickering between philosophical schools trying to interpret JP2 in this. Which is itself another interesting rabbit Debate. hole. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. With that, we are done with our episode. So thank you for watching. If you have been enjoying our content, please subscribe to our website, to our Patreon, to our YouTube, and many, many more. We have a podcast. Check it out. It's on many platforms, including Buzzsprout. Spotify, Google Podcasts, I don't know what else. And if you can't, just be sure to share our content. Just a simple share. 
goes a long ways or just watching a video or something that goes a long ways as well. And of course your prayers for our mission and our ministry would be much appreciated as well. And prayers also for this message of the theology of the body to continue to spread like wildfire. Um, it's, um, I believe it was George Weigel who says that this is a ticking time bomb. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're just starting to see fruits of that too. I th- yeah. It, it's become a very popularized thing. All right. For good and bad. More on that on a future episode. <laughs> All right. I yep. guess we'll call yep. that good. Very Just good. Very good. If you forgot anything. Nope. Nope. Uh, God bless. Okay. You didn't forget. Okay. I didn't forget. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Right. Bye.